That's right, y'all. It is the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show starting this on Friday the 9th at about 4 p.m. <sighs> it's been a week, y'all. <laughs> ah, left Sunday morning, crack of dawn for Daytona to cover. IMSA GTP testing at Daytona International Speedway. Got home late, late Wednesday night, which happened to be my birthday, and was able to spend about a half hour of that with my wife. So all was super good there. Um, yeah, as sometimes happens, best laid plans of getting the show done earlier in the week, and then things go a little bit sideways. Uh, hey, did you hear? Uh, uh, we're going to have a bit of a technology change uh, coming here soon, but... Um, we also have something positive announced, the 100 Days of Indy, a new docu-series coming. Known about this for a little while, don't want to pretend like I've been sitting on this forever, but had some really interesting discussions about this in recent weeks. We'll get into that next week's listener Q&A show, just because the list compiled by Jerry Suddeth, our good pal, and Thanks for sending that Christmas card, Jerry. That's really sweet. Uh, photos of you and your two dogs and your wife. Um, cutoff was a little bit before all that went down, so we'll get those questions in. But we do have plenty of uh, engine-related stuff, hybrid-related stuff, all kinds of related stuff here. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, let's say a huge thanks, as always, to Cooper Tires, those who power the USF championships run by Anderson Promotions, the amazing Dan Anderson and his daughter Michelle Kish who run all of that uh, plus everything else that Cooper does in the world with their road car vehicles and whatnot. Um, big thanks to Cooper Tires. They'll be back next year. They I think that's year five. Whatever it is, it's amazing. Uh, it's been going on for so long that I've just struggled to remember exactly when we started. Uh, the Justice Brothers as well. Amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants. They've been with us, I think next year will be year four, something like that, four or five. I should really know these things, shouldn't I? But uh, doesn't mean I don't appreciate them massively. And then finally, TorontoMotorsports.com, our original partner. So purveyors of automotive and motor racing memorabilia. IndyCar is a big thing in their world. Sports cars, Formula One hats, T-shirts, models, stickers, you name it. TorontoMotorsports.com. So... Wednesday was my birthday. I turned, uh, what, Dale Coyne's infrequently used car number 52. Uh, yeah, I turned, uh, who was the last to use that? Was that like Cody Ware, maybe, at Nashville, like 2021? I don't know. Uh, but anyways, 5-2. So that's the number that I turned, which is crazy. Because, yeah, I look in the mirror and go, all right, dude, you're 52. But sitting here speaking to you, I wouldn't know I was anything other than about 25. So that'll happen to you as you get older. Uh, I promise you, birthdays are no longer like, yay, balloons and cookies. And I, I get to be the special person all day. It's like, ugh, uh, an another one of these. Slow down, please. I don't need too many more of these. Let me just stay where I am right now forever. But I mentioned Wednesday was my birthday uh, for a reason, because I got two gifts, y'all, that <sighs> priceless <laughs> and unexpected. So what do you get for your birthday? Is it a T-shirt? Is it some socks? Is it a bottle of booze? Whatever. Those things are not permanent 
by any means, right? Over time, the bottle's going to get emptied pretty quick, but the socks, the whatever, get worn out, maybe get donated at some point, maybe get thrown away if they're just falling to threads, but that's normal. Let me tell you about the two unexpected gifts I got that I will never forget, and I, I just, I cherish them. So, back in like September, speaking to someone involved in the general world of IndyCar and engines, said, you know, I'm not claiming to have any great intuition on this, but I do wonder if we're actually going to go to these 2.4 liter engines that were announced back in 2018. I wonder if we're truly going to get to those in 2024. Part of me wonders if we're just going to end up staying with the 2.2 liters. I don't remember at the time, this was a couple months ago, what things that I'd heard or whatever that had happened to lead me to think this, but it was a thought that I had and a discussion that I had and the person I had it with suggested it might not be out of the realm of, of possibilities. So again, I'm not claiming to be clairvoyant or to have known this was happening all along. Absolutely not saying that. Just saying that it did at least occur to me like, huh, I have a suspicion things could go in this direction. And if it does, it won't surprise me, but I don't have any real information uh, to make that an informed opinion. It's just a gut thing. So then at the Daytona circuit Monday, I see what I've been trying to get to and just dreaming of this date for this test with the new IMSA GTP cars in the Acura ARX 06, which uses Honda's 2024 IndyCar engine. They make some changes to it, but that's it. Haven't seen it. Ha it like It's been kept under wraps. Walked out into the garage at 9 a.m. or whatever it was Monday morning. It was a setup day, and it was just, ah! Actually, you know what it was? <laughs> pew, 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 pew. There it is. The Shanks car, by chance, happened to be heavily stripped down. Side pods were off. Floor was off. Motor is staring me right in the face. And so I am snapping away. I'm shooting video. Um, got to come in and, and like look all around and shoot it from top, bottom, side. And I'm just like, yes! When? <laughs> I got it. Here we are. It's 2022, and I got every photo you could imagine of this top-secret 2024 IndyCar engine. And within about an hour, <laughs> I start talking to some more people, walking up and down the garage area. And I, I come to learn, nah, man, you got Acura's 2023 IMSA GTP engine. Because most likely tomorrow... There's going to be an announcement saying 2.4s ain't happening. It's going to be the 2.2. So I went from the heights of I got a picture of Bigfoot riding a unicorn in a spaceship with Elvis to it's really amazing and it's so cool to look at. But yeah, you have nothing that is high value in terms of IndyCar and future engines because they ain't happening. And so speak with some more people, speak with some more people. And this goes from, okay, this sounds like it's going to be uh, a real thing to, oh, no, it's absolutely happening. This announcement's coming. And had it kind of sussed out all kinds of ways. 
reached out to IndyCar and said, hey, I understand you have an announcement tomorrow and it's not exactly a glorious one. Um, I'm really confident in all my sourcing. At the same time, you guys have been taking some L's lately. Um, and I know y'all read everything. Anything that's critical goes into the you're an enemy of the state file. And I know that I'm certainly probably top of the enemy of the state list. Um, I'm fine to not rush this. I'm fine to align with whenever you guys are going to push out your stuff. Just letting you know, etc., etc. So what ended up happening was the news story that I wrote, uh, what was, whatever that was, Monday night. That ended up going out right at the same time the IndyCar's announcement went out. And I also stayed up till about 3 in the morning or whatever it was doing a commentary piece, which was not complimentary, but it doesn't matter. You do these things. I'm just sharing. If any of you want to be journalists in whatever capacity, sports, politics, whatever, um, don't go into this profession if you have a need to be liked at all times. <laughs> because I'm telling you, you write something really nice, great, whatever, super complimentary. Rarely, if ever, do you hear from the person or the organization or the whatever that those kind words were written about. Write something critical or negative. Oh, you hear from them right away. <laughs> so rarely do you hear any feedback on the good. You always get hammered on the bad. Long story short, the person that loves you today for the thing that you wrote is the person who will hate you tomorrow for the other thing that you wrote. It's a perpetual state of being hated and loved. It all kind of comes out in the wash in the end. It's just not a profession if you just need teddy bears and ice cream and, and rainbows at all time in your life. So with all that said, when I write things, any reporter who writes things that are of non-complimentary nature, hey, I'm writing about a failure or a systemic failure or a mistake or whatever else, for the most part, you know you're going to get feedback. You're going to get someone reaching out just hammering you. So file those stories. Had in the back of my mind that, hey, Roger Penske, he owns, runs the Porsche Penske Motorsports team. They're here at Daytona. Haven't seen him knowing that we've had stories that I've written that were certainly not well received uh, about the Iowa ticket prices and then coverage of S.J. Lutke's departure. I don't know if there's anything super critical about that that might have been written, but got wind of that uh, before that uh, was announced and etc. So know that there might have been some not super happiness there. And then here we are with another loss with this whole hybrid issue and ERS problems. And that's a lot of your opening questions. So I'll save getting into that in depth here momentarily. But yeah, I think three weeks in a row, three decent sized stories about things that would fall into the category of IndyCar taking L's. Um, so in the back of my mind, I'm like, hmm, I haven't seen RP so far. But if I do, I look forward to what he will have to say because I have a feeling he'll want to say something oh friends <laughs> when I say epic birthday gifts so I'm standing there in the garage 
Wednesday, got in there very early, had to leave at about 2 to catch that last flight home, etc. Was there at, I don't know, maybe 10 a.m., something like that, speaking with Jonathan Duguid. Super good guy, known Jonathan for a good long time. Elio Castroneves' engineer, all kinds of wins and amazing success with Team Penske on the IndyCar side for Jonathan, and then some other drivers too. Um, Just chatting with him, and I see someone very rapidly or intently walking towards me coming into my left peripheral vision uh and as this person gets closer in about one to two seconds time i notice a person has white hair and before i can really turn my head to the left and see who it is rp standing right in front of me eye to eye i don't know two feet distance like not super crazy personal space but like letting you know and he absolutely laid into me tore me a new one and uh, walks up and in a fairly strong voice said i thought you were our friend and i'm going hi roger what are you talking before i could really say anything he said that story you wrote yesterday it killed us i said i i don't know if i'd say it killed us roger uh everything in it and said everything in it was wrong everything's wrong 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 everything david salter said hpd president that's all wrong and everything's wrong and bad and etc etc and i'm like okay uh this is a venting session for roger i don't think he really wants to have an actual conversation here these things happen that's obviously and totally perfectly fine um and he then said you don't even talk to us talking about IndyCar wasn't mentioned in the article in terms of a representative saying whatever, whatever, and to which I said, I tried, actually. I wanted to speak to a senior most, one of the senior most people there who would have been the perfect person to speak on this engine formula and whatever else, and was told, no, they won't speak to you. So uh, I tried, Roger, but you guys didn't want to speak. Then said, well, you should have called me. And as I tried to respond to him, he turned to his left and stormed off. And I'm like, I'm sitting there kind of looking at Jonathan. Jonathan's looking at me like, I should probably get out of here and go back to work. Uh, I was left standing there and thinking to myself, that was amazing. (laughs) Really? If you want an audio version of what I was thinking... What an amazing gift being told off by Roger Penske on my birthday. And he gave it to me really good. Had no interest in hearing anything I had to say. Um, Again, everything I wrote was wrong and wrong, wrong, wrong. And great. I knew that it wasn't. uh, Just say that the folks that I had conversations with on the record and some others off the record and many after the story came out left me in a, a you know i don't file something without knowing whether it's right or wrong uh but yeah there's no real question there but again totally understand not well received nor does having one's failings uh, chronicled uh lead to folks feeling all kinds of love for you so i'm like that's amazing i'll never forget this this is a gift that will last forever so then i'm walking back through the paddock about an hour later and left kind of in my general view on the left i see chip ganassi standing under 
the, the lift on one of his transporters, the Cadillac racing program that he runs, factory program. Uh, next to him on one side, Mark Stilo, probably about the number two person at GM Racing and Chevy Racing. Good guy, smart guy. On the other side is Russ Oblinas, kind of a engine building guru and god within uh, GM Racing. And I hear, hey, great story yesterday. Really helped the series. Right? And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is incredible. Ha! Within an hour of each other, I'm getting torched by Penske and Ganassi, the two most powerful people effectively in IndyCar, or most successful, or however you want to put it, right? I'm like, this is incredible. So I wasn't meaning to go towards Ganassi, but when he hollered at me, I turned and started walking towards him again, maybe 30 feet away. And when I got within about five feet, Stilo and Oblinas just scurry. <laughs> I don't know if they were thinking we were going to get into a shouting match or something, but like, I love this side of Chip Ganassi. I really do, because he'll, he'll give you the business, and he will be very disappointed if you don't give it back. And so they started walking away quickly. I'm like, no, 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 don't go. Like, you want to see this. Ganassi yelling at me, that is something to behold. And they didn't want to hear anything of it. They, gone. And so get up to Ganassi. He's like, what the hell? You know, this isn't helping anything. To which I said to him, what do you think this is? North Korea? State-run media? Like, communist media? Where we only write about the things that are good for the nation and... Independent journalism, Ganassi. I write about the good and happy stuff. I write about the bad and unhappy stuff. Uh, it's part of the job both ways, being loved and hated. Like, again, it. what do you think? Well, I'm like, okay, great. You know, gave it to me. gave it to him a little bit. That was that. Just before I'm about to leave... Dave Lewandowski, former IndyCar comms guy, great guy, love Davey. He's now in charge of Cadillac Racing's comms. He's coming through the media center just as I'm walking in, and uh, he's on the way out with Ganassi in tow. And Ganassi, because he's Chip, right? He's a bit of a dick, but I say that in the most referential way. Love the guy. Do not change. So somewhat loudly yet again, great story, Pruitt. And I'm like, you're the best. Never change, Chip Ganassi. I love you, man. So, better than a pair of socks, better than a t-shirt, better than a bottle of booze. Uh, those things will all fade in time, go to landfills, never to be remembered. Two gifts that I got on my 52nd birthday that I will never forget, that I never knew I was going to get, would have never known to ask for, absolutely priceless being told off by Roger Penske and Chip Ganassi. I am serious when I say this. I've, can I've retold this story to like friend after friend after friend. It was awesome. It was just awesome. So uh, things like this, I always think of them as like chapters in the book of your life. And I don't know if this is a chapter. This might be a page or two, but just phenomenal. Uh, one other quick note here before we get rolling with your Q&A. Uh, got an email along with others. I think it was a bit of a group email from Liza Markle. If you are a fan of Alexander Rossi, you will should absolutely know Liza. She has been with him as somewhat 
uh, I don't know exactly how to describe her role, but PA organizer, manager type, uh, on pit lane with him forever, usually holding an umbrella or something like that. Just been two of them been side by side it feels like since uh, he got here to indycar uh she used to wear uh t-shirts with uh not the girlfriend printed on them just to let folks know that you know she wasn't just part of the scenery she's actually you know uh part of his team part of the staff and just always thought of these two as as intrinsically linked and it was interesting, just got email from her saying, effective immediately, she's no longer a part of uh, Alexander's racing endeavors. Didn't mention why. Figured if she wanted to, she would have shared that. Um, tried to at least suggest one direction she might look for uh, uh, new opportunities. So hopefully we'll get Liza back in the paddock as one of the many, many uh, strong and important women who are leading North American motor racing forward and you might have just heard the doorbell ring so I better go get that and then we're going to kick off the show well <laughs> yeah picking right up uh okay this is actually 12:02 p.m on a Saturday afternoon where we're really truly getting into your Q&A for the first time I won't waste your time by telling you why yeah uh, this is happening a little later than expected why don't we kick off the show here with our pal, the amazing Cassie Johnston, who has led an initiative through PrewKids.org that has raised more than $8,500 in charity to support 85 kids who otherwise would not have received any toys, any gifts over the holidays here. So Cassie dropped me a note actually saying we have, and by we I mean the Prue Day, she in particular leading this listener group, have taken care of all the kids that were on the list in the greater Indianapolis area. And through another great friend of the show, Shelby, uh, she's in central Ohio. She is going to make sure that some of the extra kids, or I should say the funds meant for those additional kids that uh, are already satisfied and taken care of in Indy. Actually, we're going to spread some cross-state love over to Ohio. So just amazing to see the Day doing what they always do, which is benevolence and fun and care and love. So big thank yous always to you, Cassie, for being a leader by action. Uh, she says, hey, MP, as a card-carrying IndyCar optimist, you know, things are looking bleak when I'm concerned. During these past few weeks, it's been hard to find the sunshine, so please give me some, any, good IndyCar news, just a morsel, a tasty nugget of joy. Please and thank you. Well, we did see, after you sent this in, Cassie, we did have the 100 Days of Indy docuseries get announced. That I would definitely rate as a positive Obviously, we're going to need to see how that plays out, but the potential is high. I wrote about this fairly in-depth column with some insights added from IndyCar CEO Mark Miles. Did this on Friday, so I don't want to rehash everything there. You can find that on the, the front page of Racer.com. But where this holds value, and you and I are in this, the same exact place, Cassie, as being diehard optimists... It's hard for those of us who do see the world in a positive light, glass half full, all of those things. I can 
tell you, for those who aren't of that disposition, when you have IndyCar taking L after L after L, it, it starts to weigh. One of my jobs, obviously, is to document whatever it is, happy, not happy, you name it. And I just know that on a hashtag me personally level, it does weigh heavily when it's negativity after negativity needing to be written about because if that's what the reality is, that's what you do. This does offer great potential for positivity. And it's in a really important area that is not described often or enough. And that is simply IndyCar's extremely old skewing demographic, at least through a a TV standpoint, a viewing habit standpoint. Can't tell you what the on the ground ticket buying demographic exactly where that skews. But I can tell you in the all important age ranges, the ones that are so valuable to sponsors, uh, advertisers, maybe independent of team sponsors, but ones who might want to get involved with the series, invest, uh, and otherwise, IndyCar has been among the most undesirable, if not the least desirable series in this exact regard. So if you think of the average advertiser, even sponsor, most of them want to have a youth market, a getting into your later 20s and 30s market, maybe even early 40s for something that I just in that thing I just wrote for IndyCar, almost 84% of IndyCar's television demographic is 45 years or older, nearly half is 65 and older to sponsors and advertisers that is kryptonite absolute kryptonite and so none of this is criticizing any of indycar's older fan base at all not at all i'm strictly looking at this from a value that sponsors and advertisers are looking for in reasons to support the series support the teams etc with IndyCar having these demographics that cannot be ignored, can't be explained away, having an exceptionally old TV viewership base is just not the kind of thing that gets an NBC to say, hey, we're going to put you on prime time and we're going to just give you great favor over all kinds of other sporting properties. It's not the thing that leads crazy amounts of sponsorship and whatnot to come into the series because the target audience is the wrong audience for that. And so this whole youth outlet through the CW primarily streaming audience that it has and Viceland, Vice TV, which I've watched since day one my wife and i happen to be big consumers of their content it's pretty amazing uh a lot of it's pretty amazing i think this cassie is where we have a real reason to hold high optimism getting more young fans established and introduced to indycar this is not going to fix things overnight This is more of a seeding, this is planting seeds and knowing that it's going to take a while for these roots to really dig in and for these trees to grow. 
but it's absolutely critical for IndyCar short-term and long-term survival. This is not said to be modeling or anything else, but with such a vast percentage of IndyCar's TV viewership skewing old to extremely old, it just means the, the runway left for those fans, for those viewers, is limited. And if you are not addressing the problem of a tiny youth-based viewership that IndyCar currently has, call that viewership fans, fan base as well, if you aren't creating new fans, replenishing, restocking that fan base as the older and much older generation leave us, this is where IndyCar fades into irrelevance and fades into history as a long-gone series that no longer exists because its majority fan base aged out over the next 5, 10, 15 years, and there was no one left to come behind and support it. There weren't enough folks to come along in that young 18 to 24, 17 and below, just over 24 range. You don't build up that new fan base, there's nothing left when the older fan base that's sustaining it right now moves on so this is where high hopes are held as i also wrote of course we would love for this to be on netflix massive global streaming president presence wasn't an option had heard over the past couple of years i've heard about this hundred days of indie type project being pitched and also heard that it was really the only angle that netflix had any interest in this obviously did not go forward with Netflix, but in the absence of signing with a big global streamer that was going to potentially bring a lot of eyeballs of all types, this to me is a really smart move and one that has a lot of, again, potential. We'll have to see if it works out as planned, and if not, we'll all be very disappointed, but if this is the thing, catering through the CW and Vice, if this is something that can get more folks aware of IndyCar and maybe following it, and we start to build that new fan base up of younger fans, we're going to look back at this as a mightily important move uh, in IndyCar's decision-making process on who to partner with for the 100 Days to Indy effort. All right, why don't we go to Grant Stouter. Hey, Grant. Says, you have an address. We can send happy thoughts, baked goods, and liquor uh, for IndyCar, Penske Entertainment, and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's PR reps. Says, it's been a rough four to six weeks for them. It has. They're good folks there throughout. They really are. I do my best, particularly in print, with the weekly racer mailbag, which is, you know, 90 plus percent about IndyCar, I do my best to delineate their grant, since I know that it's the most widely read thing on a weekly basis um, that I do about IndyCar. I try to delineate between IndyCar's new owners, who've taken a very strict approach to everything. They've effectively taken all of the decision-making power 
any major things, made it their own, tried to delineate between the new owners as of a couple years ago and all the folks who work within the buildings, IMS and IndyCar, who were operating the series before or the track before and continue to operate it now. I'm not saying all of the ills you mentioned in the rough couple of weeks here and whatnot, I'm not saying 100% of those problems should be attributed to the owners, but I can tell you that the vast majority of what I've seen and what I know, it's, it's on them. So I'm with you. The folks from presidents and CEOs on down, all the folks in those offices, those are the ones who, uh, like you, have been thinking about, and yeah, uh, extremely, extremely kind and passionate and really dedicated folks. <sighs> Hadn't been easy on them. Uh, so yes, uh, 16th and Georgetown, send all you can their way, and you know, sometimes just you know, being a little inebriated uh, at work might make the day go by a little bit easier. So I'm down with you there. Uh, let's see, where do we go? Uh, Daniel SEM 2004. You say, how is IndyCar's announcement of sticking with the 2.2 liter combustion engine in your article comments from the manufacturers anything but an unmitigated disaster for IndyCar going forward? Oh, yeah. I didn't want to just explore every single angle of this, Daniel, because it really would have been like piling on, but yeah. Uh, same exact thought, my friend. We have the change that's coming with the hybridization, just no new engines. We don't know what the future may hold. Could, a couple years from now, IndyCar and its two current manufacturers say, hey, um, we're into this hybrid thing and it's working and hey why don't we get back on that 2.4 liter program and try and put these hotter faster meaner cooler new engines in play the thing though for sure Daniel on the topic of not trying to pile on and print or, or whatever was so if you struggled to get additional manufacturers to buy in with this new formula due in 2024 you sure as heck aren't going to get manufacturers to buy into the extension of a old and fading formula that's being preserved beyond a decade of use so if you can't get folks to jump in on the new ideas there is no way in heck they're gonna somehow sign on to do new 2.2 liter engines, knowing that in theory these are going to be jettisoned into uh, history very, very soon. Again, we don't know exactly how long, but this effectively guarantees we're just going to have two engine manufacturers, just as we've had for a decade for the foreseeable future. The possibility of there being a third coming in with a 2.4 liter. Again, uh, even if the odds were slim, at least there was a possibility. This kills that completely. In 
some of the answers that I just finished for next week's mailbag. One of the items there, Daniel, and I'll use this to close, was if there's a, a positive to find from this, it's that, well, let me rephrase that. If there is a positive IndyCar is capable of finding, if it wants to be honest with itself and acknowledge this, because that's IndyCar's greatest problem right now, they refuse to acknowledge anything that might be considered a problem. They make no mistakes. Everything is awesome. Iowa's ticket prices are perfect. The previous VP of marketing, uh, you yeah, all kinds of great new possibilities because that person wasn't doing the job correctly. It's not accurate. Uh, the 2.2, 2.4 liter stuff, as I mentioned, was told everything that I wrote was wrong. Everything David Salters in particular was wrong. Everyone's wrong but them. It's a really hard place to work from in terms of improving uh, your product when your number one item in the playbook is everything we do is perfect don't criticize don't say anything critical or you're dead to us um that sidebar aside daniel there's an opportunity here for the owners of indycar and i'm delineating here it's not the folks and sitting in the offices uh running the series who fail to understand this but the owners of indycar have an opportunity now with this lack of introducing the brand new internal combustion engine formula it announced, it has an opportunity to acknowledge two things. The days of we're coming up with a single engine formula and it's super restrictive where we tell you it must be this displacement, 2.4 liters or whatever. It must be this many cylinders, six in this case. It must be built in this architecture, in this instance, a V. It must have two turbos, and it must, and it must. The days of creating a single, highly restrictive formula in terms of creativity or personality, it's not working. It hasn't been working, but we can confirm for a fact that for a decade, throughout this decade, where every automotive manufacturer in the world had freedom to join IndyCar as a manufacturer, as an engine supplier, every single automotive manufacturer in the world, barring Honda and Chevrolet, have rejected the formula. All for various reasons, for however many that were interested, came in, kicked the tires, looked around. For whatever their reasons were, not a single one of them said, yes, this is us, we are in, during the 2.2 liter and since 2018 when the 2.4 liter was announced. Looking to add more enticements, more modernity and relevance to the formula frankly after getting a lot of very negative feedback in particular from honda indycar changed their tact here daniel and in 2019 said hey those new engines we announced last year still gonna 
happen, but now they're going to be hybrid. We're going to add electrification to them. Honda told IndyCar bluntly, if you don't, we're gone. And so IndyCar did. So this is not me trying to pick on IndyCar, Daniel. I'm just going to tell you the fact-based truth. When this formula was announced in 2018, I'm sorry, 2010, three manufacturers signed on, Chevy, Honda, and Lotus. Built motors, developed motors through 2011. This new formula went green, got the green flag waving on it. 2012, St. Petersburg. Was there for it. Uh, That's, yeah. We'll we'll do a retro podcast one day talking about Friday at St. Pete 2012. And oh my goodness. Nonetheless, Lotus lasted that first year and bailed. They were a disaster, wholly unprepared, unqualified, uneverything to participate, and they stopped. So leaving 2012, we had Chevy and Honda. Know of many manufacturers, many of whom that I've named in print, who connected with IndyCar, met with IndyCar some more than once, some many times, some were visited by IndyCar, some, again, lots of talks. Nobody signed on during the 2.2 liter formula. 2.4 is announced. Not a single manufacturer signs on from when it was announced. Go a full calendar year after that. It gets modified to say, hey, this should be a pretty big carrot. We're dangling little interest, y'all. We're not going to be naturally, I'm sorry, uh, we're not just going to be a internal combustion engine formula. We're going to go hybrid, and that's going to fit where the automotive industry is headed. Crickets. Lots of folks talking. I think more interest than ever, Daniel. But not a single manufacturer signed on. This leads us to what I absolutely hope is drawn as a conclusion by IndyCar. Now that they have themselves some extra time, however many years in the future, that will continue using the same exact motor to say, you know what? Painting a very narrow box of opportunities for manufacturers, which once worked and once had significant response back in the day, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, even a little bit. Those days are gone. And we have the evidence of it because nobody has signed up. And so it would be insane. Pick the year 2026, 27. We're going to go to a new engine and it's this specific displacement and cylinders and it's a V and it's a this and it. I, I, yeah. So here's an opportunity for IndyCar to go, you know what? Maybe we need to be a little bit more flexible. We did have that back in the, I mean, granted, 60s, 70s, you know, in particular. Good Lord, people ran any and everything. But 80s and 90s in particular, they weren't all turbo V8s. We did have some turbo V6s from both Chevy and Buick. Not saying they were amazing conquering engines compared to the 2.65 liter turbo V8s. But uh, there was variety, IndyCar, under the cart sanctioning body, is familiar with having to run multiple types of engines at different boost levels, different weight levels, different things to try and equalize. And hey, it didn't always work out perfectly, but it's not like this would be a brand new concept. So this is where IndyCar needs to go back to. 
instead of painting that super narrow single path to play in the series with a highly limited type of engine that's not suitable almost anywhere else, I think they need to say, you know what? Auto industry is changing. As we move closer towards the middle and end of the decade, all the manufacturers, most of the manufacturers in the world are going to be moving closer towards full electric vehicles or more hybrids, more things. It would be silly to do the same old routine, engine formula-wise, knowing that as we move each year forward, Daniel, the automotive industry is only becoming more experimental and evolving more. IndyCar needs to come up with an engine formula that evolves and adapts. Today, it makes total sense to have a big, high-power internal combustion engine plus an energy recovery system that adds about... 10%, whatever the exact percentage ends up being, 10, 12% of the total power output. Do we expect that to change in the years ahead in the production vehicles that we buy? Yes. I would expect the internal combustion engine power figures to come down and the energy recovery system, the hybrid road vehicles to be stronger on the hybrid side. Uh, If not, again, moving all the way towards 100% electrical vehicle propulsion. A formula that says, hey, you're constantly adapting year by year. If we did something that said, come on in and let's do the hybrid thing still, but give you come up with a energy recovery system that has a lot of headroom. So maybe it's a 100 horsepower contribution in the first year or two, but year three or four it could be 200 or 300 or just give some scalability if you want to shift how much one half of that hybrid power package contributes in the other half and how does that tilt in one way or the other as time goes on i think that makes a lot of sense yeah you want to try a v8 you want to try a inline four-cylinder? You want to try a, a V5? Uh, again, I don't know, but IndyCar needs to absolutely open its mind to create an engine formula for the future that allows the manufacturers, just like IMSA has done, to bring their identity, their beliefs, their plans for their futures, and use representations of those in the cars that they race. You don't do that, as we've seen evidence of here, and this has actually turned into maybe the longer uh, question of the show, you don't get folks responding. Meanwhile, over in IMSA with the GTP cars, at the end of 2024, basically starting take that back end of 2023 they will have their third new manufacturer playing in gtp they're going to kick off this formula here next month with four manufacturers pretty crazy two of them carryovers chevy slash cadillac slash gm and the other one acura slash honda adding porsche massive investment this year going into this new formula and BMW, equally massive investment. 
two giant German auto manufacturers. Coming the year after in 2024 is Lamborghini, another big, giant name. McLaren, we're expecting them at some point in time. There's another brand I've heard that could be getting into this very same formula around 2025. This is just looking at reality, Daniel. This is not kind of partisan views or wishing one series better, you know, better health than the other. It's none of that. Hybrid. IndyCar said we're going hybrid a year before IMSA did. IMSA made that announcement in January of 2020. Here we are, the end of 2022, getting ready for this new formula to debut had both brands who are already involved in IMSA's top prototype class, Acura and Cadillac, say we're staying and building brand new cars, and these things are wicked cool and crazy expensive, but nonetheless, they saw the value, so they've invested into it. BMW said, oh my goodness, here we go. Huge new investment. Porsche, insane new investment. uh, Lamborghini's coming. When we get to the uh, a year from now, We will have five GTP manufacturers with way more expensive than what it costs to run IndyCar hybrids on the ground, full factory programs. IndyCar, on the other hand, same two, cannot attract anyone else less expensive to do it as well. Still couldn't get folks interested to do this. So you have to wonder why, since we all know IndyCar's racing, the quality of racing, and its marquee event, the Indy 500, giant. But when everyone, other than the two that are already there, say no, and big-ass names pick the other series that's going hybrid and actually has a much smaller audience and smaller TV footprint and smaller everything... I just have to come back here, Daniel, to say the formula's off. Come up with a more inclusive formula that allow automotive brands to let their personalities with engines and energy recovery systems be expressed. I think all of a sudden we're talking about IndyCar in a much healthier place. Uh, Leonard PDX, you say, surprise, this hasn't been asked. Um... Down this long list of questions, says, I thought the point of the 2.4 liter engine was to increase horsepower. So what are we going to have now? We're going to have a heavier car due to the hybrid system with the old engine. Thus, a slower car? WTF. Um, That would be right, Leonard. So, yeah. Um, Did ask, hey, in this sticking with the 2.2 liter formula, his IndyCar said, We'll open up some new areas for you to um, try and make some more power so that we don't totally lose out on that 800, 850, eventually 900 a couple years down the road with development we're expecting to get from the 2.4, knowing that we're, again, just a little over 700 with the uh, current 2.2 and was told not that they know of for now. Um, so, yes, uh, would absolutely expect the car to be slower. Not crazy, maybe. The Beyond the weight, keep in mind we are going to be getting about 100 horsepower punch, or we expect to, from the ERS. So that'll help compensate for some of the additional weight. But the main things that I've heard of, 
speaking road and street courses that would really set back lap times be the overall vehicle dynamics um just the hybrid system i'm sorry the energy recovery system chucked in the back of the car just made the vehicles not the most nimble things in the corners and if you're not nimble coming into a corner under braking or nimble through and on the way out it means you're waiting and waiting and waiting for the car to settle and or slow before getting onto the throttle so if you're waiting longer periods to get on the throttle to power out of corners it means you're losing lap time so yeah um be interesting to see where things get developed over the course of the next year uh let's see Inder miller you say did the quote new honda engine test that happened a few weeks back really involve a 2.4 liter engine or was it actually a 2.2 liter hybrid combo involved uh we'll mention to you andrew and i feel like i might have said this on the show not too long ago um everyone's under super ndas non-disclosure agreements why couldn't tell you but Every, nobody wants to talk. Everyone's deathly afraid to talk. Everyone's signed NDAs. I, again, I couldn't tell you why, but uh, it kind of does fit the new era here. Um, of the things that I've heard, uh, it was definitely the 2.4. Um, other thing that I've heard is the first of the 2.2 liter hybrid tests uh should be happening i don't know exactly when but end of this month ish beginning of next so uh all that i know is that it was indeed the 2.4 uh but that won't be happening anymore all right we're going to continue with our pal right turn lover who asks why if indycar's chosen ers vendor molly has dropped the ball were honda and chevy called up to fix the problem not the case at all here my friend they were not called in to do anything uh they and as i've heard honda in particular was really the driving force insisted as i'm told well-placed fear that if intervention did not happen the series would not be going hybrid in 2024 as i have only known and only understood this was a case of them saying, we want to stay in the series. We believe in it. We love you guys. But you're really flirting with failing us in going hybrid. If you fail to go hybrid, at least one of us are gone instantly. And if that happens in a wider range or wider scope, IndyCar's in really, really big trouble because I am not aware of either of those manufacturers having the capability to support the entire field if one of them were to leave uh, i'm unaware of either one being able to prop up the entire grid so this was them the manufacturers being indycar's real and true ride or dies so yeah um a pretty incredible incredible thing i would say Let's go to our pal, Hrishi Despond, who says, Can you go into any further detail about the issues plaguing the ERS systems? Why the manufacturers got involved? Is it the MGU, supercapacitor, or something else? Also, the failures due to speeds and loads that are unique to IndyCar, especially on ovals. Um, 
can't really go into any of this, Hrishi, because noting the NDA stuff, the real detailed items of things that have gone wrong have been, for the most part, kept private. Of the things that I have learned, if I were to mention any of them, it would probably be not too hard for folks to trace back, if not the exact person, uh, get pretty close to where this information came from. And since we're playing the everything's under NDA, and yet again, and still IndyCar has yet to actually name Molly as the vendor, right? Um, It's this whole nonsense here, my friend. But uh, I can tell you that heard and heard and heard and kept hearing about failure upon failure on uh, the engine dynos, for example, and really setting things back and being super problematic. So, uh, and I'll leave uh, the rest of that um, out. Um, Ryan Caminiti said, what's the possibility that Honda gets tired of stagnation and pulls out of IndyCar? Um, They're the ones who fought to keep themselves in IndyCar, Ryan, as I understand it. So, yeah, uh, if this was a deal breaker for Honda, uh, I'm sure they would have said so. Instead, they're the ones who are really steadfast and trying to make sure that IndyCar does go hybrid because without IndyCar going hybrid, I don't think they're going to get the corporate slash financial support to continue an IndyCar. So this is really and truly uh, help me to help you type deal. Uh, let's see, Sydney 099. Do you think IndyCar should have a two-liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine in its future? I think that would be more attractive and relevant to new manufacturers. Well, going back to my longer uh, response there, a little, just a little ways back, I think the formula should be open to allow manufacturers to fill a specific space within the engine bay. And maybe I didn't go too far into that solution, but I think IndyCar, with its future formula, needs to give latitude to manufacturers to be able to use a 2-liter 4-pot turbo if that's what they want. Might be a little bit hard to ask that to make 900 horsepower reliably all the time without it costing a ton but what i would love to see is indycar say okay we're going to come up with a volume in the engine bay it's this wide it's this long it's this high if you want to build something small and compact cool come up with whatever we need to fit that in there and create the structure behind it to connect to the bell housing and transmission and make sure everything links up and is sufficiently stiff and and whatnot handles twisting loads uh, and bending loads Uh, you want to go with something that is wider flatter taller like hey let's give you a box you work within that and so if you show up with one cylinder six eight whatever the number is uh, radial, rotary, I, I, hey, <laughs> boxer, come on, let's go. You decide, and behind that motor, we will have our energy recovery system that 
what we think is might still be supercapacitor based. Who knows what that'll be once Chevy and Honda get done uh, coming up with their evolution of this system. But I would rather hear about this than anything else. Of course, you might say, well, but then wouldn't costs run amok? You can you certainly apply some materials limitations so manufacturers aren't spending a ton on insane things that cost trillions. Uh, I mean, there are certainly ways to prevent manufacturers from going nuts. So it's more the latitude of creativity that is important here. Uh, so I think two liter four cylinder, three liter four cylinder, five liter four cylinder. I mean, uh, whatever liter they might want, um, bring it. Let's go have some fun. Uh, at nifty underscore 50 underscore two. This is I truly don't understand. IndyCar engines produce about 750 horse. That's a lot. But you can find production cars with that number. I hear about stressed member this and formula that. But how can it be this hard to get engines to the into the back of these things? Well, for the very reason you just mentioned. Uh, the engine formula currently in play, the 2.2 and what was coming with 2.4, are exactly that stressed members. It is a load-bearing member of the chassis, completely unlike... 99% of all road cars where engines get dropped into a structure and get cradled effectively or cradled in an engine bay. They're not uh, anything that bears any real load, any twisting, bending forces. It doesn't connect the front of the car to the back of the car. That's what IndyCar's engine formula has been for decades upon decades. Could that change in the future? It absolutely could. Uh, There's no, quote, need for the engines to be a stress member. But the reason that they are is you avoid having to build in heavier, bulkier cradle systems to drop them into. I'm not going to go too much farther into this whole thing. We can have a deeper discussion on another day. But... Part of what makes IndyCar what it is with its speed and performance and everything else is its relative lack of weight. The minute you start accommodating cradles that are big and heavy so you can drop a motor into place and the motor does not have to bear any real load or whatever else, that means you now have the weight of the engine plus this extra weight for the cradle and you start to get heavier and porkier and you start to lose performance as a result so hmm, factor in the ers system which weighs a lot behind it and we're just going farther and farther in the wrong direction but who knows again is this i have to believe that if there was a coalition of the willing riggedy row gets involved and all kinds of other folks get involved here and say hey how could we do this could we come up with a universal uh cradle system maybe some manufacturers don't want to use a cradle want to use a true purebred racing engine meant to bear a load uh and connect the back of the car to the front of the car cool you do that and if you don't well Let's come up with a, a option here, Delara, 
uh, where other manufacturers who aren't ready to do that might be able to do that. Last quick thing here just to mention. Usually when we're talking about dropping a engine into a cradle, it's because that engine is bigger and or heavy. With a purebred racing engine that's also meant to bear chassis loads, those tend to be fairly light. So if we're talking about, hey, what GT3 racing sports car engine might we plug into an IndyCar? Does McLaren have a cool twin-turbo V8 or Aston Martin or Porsche or B? Run down the line. You go, yes, they all do. And those things, by comparison to an IndyCar engine, weigh a ton. And so all of a sudden you get, and they dimensionally tend to be pretty darn large. So that's why dropping one of those into an existing Delara chassis doesn't work. You have to keep in mind that the wheelbase of the car, the floor and the side pods are all a certain length. You drop in a motor that is a foot longer, half a foot longer, you all of a sudden have to start cutting and stretching and modifying everything. We get IndyCar limos, <laughs> basically. So that's where if we're talking about a brand new design for the future that has a larger void in the engine bay that allows manufacturers to play and put something that fills it all or is a little bit smaller and you shim it and whatnot, like that's a great thing to do with a brand new design. Shoehorning something into the current one, Oh, yeah, wouldn't be pretty. So that's uh, that's why it's so hard. It's a real thing. It's not a made-up problem. It's a real, real thing. Um, Austin Merrill, uh, you say, with the latest engine news, how can us fans show our displeasure to Roger Penske? Fewer and fewer of us approve of the series' direction, but how does this one show that to a billionaire without boycotting the series we love? Yeah, let's go back to my earlier statements about everything is awesome, criticism is not welcome, and if, uh, yeah, if you're too loud, they're going to do their best to make sure you're uh, no longer part of the show. Um, Look, I don't want IndyCar to take a step back at all. Who does? Um, I just have to fear that as they continue to take more L's than W's, folks are going to start voting with their wallets uh, and or what they do or don't watch. That's the problem here. Um, Unless the thing shrinks in grid size, audience size, TV size, sponsor size, I don't know if there's going to be anything to get the owners to realize that their approach might need a rethink or two short of voting with your wallet or your eyeballs i don't know how that message really gets sent or felt so yeah it's a tough one austin i hate to admit this i think about this stuff a lot like it really worries me as in not working sitting on the couch watching tv with my wife some like turn your brain off type scenario these things are running through my brain way more than they should i don't own the series i don't like i could leave tomorrow 
never cover IndyCar again. Focus 100% of my efforts on IMSA. And not only would the folks at IMSA be the happiest folks in the world, but like there's a long runway there. That's where I started reporting. I can easily go back at any point in time. But I want to keep and continue reporting on IndyCar full time because I care about it. And I know so many of you do as well. Uh, And I'm not saying the folks who own it don't love it, don't care about it just as much. But (sighs) I'm, I'm at a loss for where we go in a really positive and corrective direction here, Austin. Let's ramp down here a little bit. Seeing the Lizard says, hey, there's been rumors of Romain Groshaw leaving IndyCar after 2023. Now that he has a Lamborghini sports car ride, do these rumors have any basis in fact? Or are they just the uh, fevered imaginings of the internet? Uh, yeah, Romain texted to say, uh, not leaving IndyCar, want to be here for a long time. So he has no intention. Slightly separate topic. His two-year contract with Ganassi is up at the end of 2023. Will Ganassi extend another contract to keep him? I think that is very much subject to how his upcoming season goes. And if it's not the big turnaround he wants and they want in the first four or five races, probably through the Indy 500... Uh, I would say they will probably start looking for someone else to fill that car. Does that mean Romain would not get picked up by another team? Of course not. Uh, But I would say things become very easy for Romain to have a good long while ahead of him in IndyCar if things go wonderfully with Andretti this year and he stays there. Anything other than that, and I think it becomes a little bit of a challenge potentially. Uh, Todd Hudson, you're wondering, what's in the water in New Zealand? Say Marcus Armstrong looks a little like Dixon. Does he? Okay. Uh, Are we sure he's not been hiding as as a secret from us for all of his 22 years? You say, in all seriousness, what's down there in the water in New Zealand? Yep, he'll be our third Kiwi along with good old Scotty McLaughlin. Hey, they make good race car drivers. Small little, you know, island-based nation, but uh, they make themselves some very good race car drivers. So, yeah. Uh, supposed to have Marcus on the podcast here early in the week. So, yeah. Get to know him a little bit better. Uh, let's see. At big underscore Nick. Nick's 12. MP, can you provide insights on coins, plan Bs? More specifically, is Linus Lundqvist now in the frame for that open seat? Um, no, unfortunately. He's got no money to offer, and I am unaware of any team really looking at him. Uh, he had an opportunity in IMSA. That did not materialize, so... Yeah, spoke with a kid here very recently, and I can tell you I am very concerned that uh, I don't know if he's going to have any real thing to drive in 2023. So many fingers crossed. Uh, Jonathan Ireland, you're asking if uh, Roger Penske decided to make me CEO of the IndyCar Series. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he'd signed me up to be the FU, probably not the CEO. You say, what kind of roadmap would you put in place for the future of the series? Um I'm already deep into this episode, Jonathan. Maybe that's a good one for next week. Thank you for sending that in, so maybe Jerry can hold on to that, and I'll try that again. Um, James Lau, you're asking, uh, now that Jamie Chadwick's finally getting an opportunity in Indy NXT, makes me wonder what a 
NXT drivers make, especially the top tier ones. Um, living expenses? Not much more, maybe? Uh, I mean, it really depends, right? Half the kids, if not more, are all there because their parents are successful in business and pay for them to be on the road to Indy slash Anderson Promotions slash Penske Entertainment in their various series. Um, so what does mom or dad give them for living expenses? I mean, again, I don't know. Um, you know would a, a high-value name like a Chadwick get paid? I'd think so. But again, we're not talking about you're actually like a serious major profit generating driver on the uh the nxt level so whatever it is i would not think it was a number that any of us would go oh boy that's impressive um but yeah them getting actually paid paid like for being a quality driver from their team yeah that that's just not really much of a thing um Jamie Carr, you say, have asked something similar in the past that didn't make it in. Uh, there's an expression, cheap or frugal. Uh, it appears that IndyCar is choosing cheap. He says, I'm not expecting Penske to spend lots of money for IndyCar. But there is a perception they're being frugal, spending money wisely, or being, quote, uh, good financial stewards, especially when it comes to marketing. And the more news I see about the series, the more I am suspecting that being, quote, cheap, refusing to spend any money, is a company-wide mentality at this time. Am I wrong? Yeah, I, I think you probably find it's it's a bit of both compared to all of one, Jamie. Got a story here coming for probably Monday or Tuesday. Uh, another thing I discussed with IndyCar CEO Mark Miles, where he says they are making a greater investment in marketing for next year, and they're doing some other things that are different as well. That would speak to uh, not being cheap or frugal, but the accusations have been they are. Uh, have been cheap uh, in 2022 at least and I do continue to hear in many different ways that they are trying to spend as little as possible operationally so yeah uh, might have a little bit more to offer on this in the coming weeks and months Jamie but not enough uh, to really give you a whole lot that I think might be interesting right now uh, we have Three to go quickly. Uh, Arvin Mahadevan, how are you doing, Arvin? You say, does IndyCar need another iconic panel to move the series forward? Huh. Seems that things have been stuck in neutral. Cars, engines, marketing, new races, etc. for a while now. You say, I know COVID-19 happened, but still. Yeah, I mean, the iconic committee was a uh, bit of a sham. So, no, we don't need more sham committees, but... <sighs> We just need someone to convince IndyCar's ownership that frugality is rarely the formula that takes a small niche sports property and turns it into a giant, ragingly popular sports property. Uh, let's see. Two to go. J.D. Ellis said, greetings from 2027. Tony Perella now owns IndyCar and is using it as another legacy support series like Trans Am for SVR weekends. Still only two engine choices. Oh, man. I don't know if I want to get to 2027 if 
It's a legacy support series, JD. But yeah, I mean, again, the cars do currently qualify for Tony's SVRA Vintage Series. So, oh man. Uh, we're going to close here on uh, at Indian DC. Says, taking my 13-year-old to the Rolex 24 Hours for his birthday. First time for both of us. Any tips and recommendations? Says he went to his first Indy 500 last year and has gotten really into high-end cars the last year. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, a number. And here's to uh, this decision of yours with your son to do this awesome American endurance race. Not sure what you're going to be able to do or find, or if you've already found a hotel that's somewhat nearby, that's great. Uh, If need be, you can get out and uh, go and uh, stay warm and and recover a little bit as the race is going on. But my recommendation would be, assuming your 13-year-old's kind of all in and wants the, the full experience, you need to go in thinking and acting like you're camping in the elements without a tent. So, uh, need to be mobile, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Check what they allow you to bring in, obviously. So, do not take any of what I say here as being a uh, fact for what you can or can't. But maybe it's a rolling cart, uh, but something where you have folding chairs for the two of you, for sure. Because this is an event to tour around on the inside. Uh, I don't know what the ticket thing is for the grandstands, if you have to buy tickets for that. And those also allow you to walk around in the infield. Or Again, I wouldn't pretend to know, but it's a great thing to watch from the grandstands for a while. The grandstands are giant, so you could very easily start down by turn four, again, if you're allowed to, and then walk down and then all the way towards turn one. Infield, though, it's a lot of really cool vantage points to view from there. Um, that's where I would recommend be sure to bring some sort of folding chairs for the two of you. Uh, bring blankets and or jackets. It's going to get cold. The crazy fun stuff, my favorite part of this event is like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Uh, it's just you and the cars. And granted, it gets dark not too late, so you can have a long evening with the cars just kind of by yourself. But seems like around that mid just after midnight folks start nodding off falling asleep not as many folks walking around so you do get the opportunity to go to a lot of corners uh, and just really have your private time with the vehicles with the drivers and enjoy the sights and sounds and everything under the cover of darkness so just keep in mind that hopefully it doesn't rain but it can get cold there overnight for sure Um, so just be prepared for that but Go there with a mindset of, and this is very different from watching the Indy 500, where you more or less find your spot and stay there and consume all three and a half hours of it. This is something where it's a giant facility. 3.56 miles is the length of the road course slash roval. Um, Not able to get up close everywhere, but you are in a lot of places. And so it is very much of a touring event uh, as I see it. So I don't know how much they let you bring in in a cooler and your, you know, water and orange juice or whatever else you want, snacks and food. Would just say, as you're coming in Saturday morning with your son, 
make sure that you are, based on what you're allowed to bring in, stocked up like mad so that the two of you can, um, from the, the start of the race to the end of the race, feel like you've seen it all from all vantage points, closed your eyes, not frozen, uh, and really, really enjoy yourself. Last quick thing. And this is another thing to check out. I think you might come in from the grandstand side near start-finish, uh, the flagger and whatnot. But uh, they tend to do an open grid. So get out there. Walk across the grass at Daytona. Walk out over to the grid and see the cars and take pictures of them and, and say hi to the drivers and pose for all kinds of photos. That's a really amazing thing that IMSA does and has done for a long time so uh, just soak all of that in final final note whether it's the little day glow yellow or green little ear foamies preferably maybe those plus bigger kind of headphone style hearing protection it's loud oh it is very loud and it is very loud for again 24 hours straight it can if you think going to a a concert or or some sort of music festival is abusive to your ears those don't last 24 hours this is an audio explosion and the sounds are amazing but please bring hearing protection an excessive amount of hearing protection so you and your son don't have your ears ringing for weeks afterwards uh that would be my last little tip so hey thank you all for everything for uh yeah all the questions you sent in, all the fun stuff that you do, and just the really cool participation, family, and everything you've helped build here. Um, just appreciate you all so much. Huge thank you again to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. And I'll speak to you here next week.